Hello. Hello. So <laughs> waiting to see if you're going to talk first. Every week you wait longer and longer and I never say anything first. I'll let you in on a little secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, a secret that only Micah Sargent knows. And that mm-hmm. is uh, Skype call recorder does not start instantaneously when the call starts. It takes a couple seconds. And so if I start talking, I miss the first thing that I say. So mm. I, I'm, I'm fine with whatever you say, but what I say would, would be lost to the sands of time. You should try another application. Yes, but um, this one does it automatically so I don't forget to record, which I find advantageous <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Have you actually forgotten to record? I have in the past, yes. Uh, notably, um, whenever I have to do an incomparable session where it's a, 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 like a, a Google Chrome thing, like a, a Google Zoom. Hangout? Yeah, like Hangout or, or Zoom, um, which is also a browser-based thing, kind of. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that, that, that all sucks. Because then if nobody says anything, then I'm just like, so used to call recorder that I just keep talking and talking and talking. And then like an hour and a half in, I'm like, uh Oh, <sighs> which has happened. SpaghettiOs. Mm-hmm. SpaghettiOs. But, um, Spaghetti Joe's, uh, <laughs> so lows. Um, so speaking of that, mm-hmm. did you like that pivot? Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, solo, a star Wars opportunity to tell a star Wars story through, marketing and sales of things to be man yeah. so bitter and jaded no that's not entirely <laughs> true no I, yeah i whatever i guess uh it did seem kind of out of the blue when they announced that they were gonna make this it seemed unnecessary or something i guess because we don't really on solo's backstory it's not exactly pivotal to the Star Wars series in the same way that Rogue One uh, set up a lot of dominoes uh, for the, uh, you know, the original trilogy. Yeah, I think the thing is you get kind of everything you need to know about Han Solo uh, from, I would say, the first two movies uh, and certainly the third. Um, I mean, honestly, how much do we really need to know about him? No, I mean, not that much. And it turns out the more you know about him, the less interesting i find him um like because <laughs> he seems like a human being instead of a uh i i uh sort of i don't know i, I was gonna say uh cardboard cutout but he, he's he's an iconic character with like a a very succinct bullet point description uh in, in the original trilogy and this one turns him into more of a like a regular human being yeah and i think there are a lot of people who are here for that as the kids say <laughs> uh they don't say that anymore do they? they they have to have moved on to something else i don't know we'll have to check with the the post post millennials and find out what's actually cool these days post post millennials mm. that didn't really work neither does his no. music though so it's fine <laughs> a lot of tattoos though on the face too yeah that's that's he something changed his haircut though that was good I guess it was better it than is. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so this movie, uh, I was not looking forward to it a lot for uh, a variety of reasons. Notably, um, Lord and Miller were the original directors for this. And it seemed like a ridiculous choice from the beginning, but... Y- yes, like, if you, had, movies. if you had asked me to list 
people who would be good for a Star Wars movie, <laughs> I would not have put them on the list. Not because I don't think they're fans of Star Wars. I just think they're kind of storytelling and uh, their directorial style, shall we say, is very experimental and lends itself really well to lower budget things where there are less people waiting around on set while you're doing other takes with new improv stuff or let's say animation where you can uh, tweak and undo and redo a bunch uh, and that perhaps uh, doesn't lend itself well to a large big budget uh, uh, science fiction thing that has a specific kind of vibe um, that you can't really like, uh, you can't be as cheeky about, uh, as, as maybe they, they are with other things. So Although yeah, it's kind of amazing that Jonah Hill didn't make it into this movie. Amazing or fortunate. Um, I'm yes. going to go with fortunate, uh, Both. but yeah, I'm not even sure how much of a hand they had in casting. Uh, with these Star Wars productions, it seems like there's a variety of decisions that are made by other people, uh, that, don't necessarily always include the director, but I mean, they, or directors. They, they had some thoughts on the casting about how difficult it was to find their Han, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure there was a large committee of people who were um, contributing to that decision. But you know, like you got a lot of you got a lot of people in here you wouldn't necessarily expect doing either mocap roles or just little bit cameos and stuff. So I, I could I could have seen a role for Jonah. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Uh, and th- this is. Uh, an unfortunate situation where there was a lot of bad press because they were replaced, uh, fired, um, and uh, it was a very public firing. This was not like a situation <laughs> like Rogue One where there was sort of a maybe there was another director on set. Wink, wink. Um, this this was a, a definite uh, severing of of their employment uh, and the hiring of Ron Howard. Uh, and while I think Ron Howard competently executed a film. Um, I have no way of saying like, oh, this is a Ron Howard feeling movie or anything like this is, it's just, it, it's well made and well put together, but, uh, like they're, they're surprisingly certain- cohesive for having a director, uh, change basically in the middle of it. Um, at least to me, I, it doesn't feel disjointed really in, in any places. And I would be very curious to know how much was actually reshot. Cause I have a, a feeling that it's probably in the like 90% range. I, I thought I read somewhere. I think it was like seventy percent. Uh, well, not seventy percent. I want to say seventy percent of the movie is Ron Howard. I forget the percentage of stuff that was reshot. They apparently didn't get incredibly far because one of the the downfalls of the experimental workshopping your way through it method that Lord Miller had was that they were not getting through material quickly. Um, mm. So. Uh, it's it seems while they were reshooting things they just they didn't have I guess as much it seemed mainly like uh t- they hadn't shot a lot and also um some of the stuff they shot it was like tone issues and maybe Alden um Alden I don't know Alden Alden say his name yeah, whatever he had he had some pronunciation issues because he's not uh he doesn't really talk like you know Harrison Ford. <laughs> I mean- you can get a lot of that stuff in ADR too, but it, the the thing on Wikipedia that I saw said uh, they thought they were shooting a, a comedy movie rather than uh, a Star Wars movie with a little bit of comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Which um, I I've, personally I feel like the balance of comedy in this movie is is appropriate. It's got as much as it should. I mean, a lot of it 
comes from the droid as per usual. Lando does some good stuff in here too. There's there's a fair amount of little stuff here and there that's funny, but uh, and there's there's situational stuff like uh, physical things that are written in, like you know they try to do the turn on your side thing to go through a crevice, a narrow crevasse, and uh, they 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 don't execute on that well. So that's that's your funny haha joke, um, and. You know that that is written in there to be funny. Like they they weren't writing this as a serious piece that they twisted to be funny. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was good though. Yeah, and apparently, uh, part of the writing stuff is uh, the Kasdans, um, Jonathan Kasdan, and Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, Lawrence is of course uh, the one of the writers on Empire Strikes Back, um, and uh, some Indiana Jones stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Famous writer. A lot of people like him. Um, and his son, Jonathan, uh, they, they were working together on this. And uh, apparently, the elder Kasdan was unimpressed with the way that Lord and Miller were, were handling the material that was written. Um, because they would improv and replace things that were written. Uh, and uh, it was uh, not, not super jazzed. And that was part of the reason why they were replaced. I could see that. Yeah. Time and a place can't, for improvise. Yeah. Mm. But... Uh, and anyway, it, it, this is, of course, is not a judgment on Lord and Miller because I liked Into the Spider-Verse and I like other things that they've done. It's just that perhaps, as I said, it was a compatibility issue um, that maybe someone named Kathleen Kennedy should have foreseen uh, when she was doing this. Um, yeah. But well, I, yeah. Yeah. I uh, Like you, I like them as well. I maintain the 21 and 22 Jump Street films are some of the best comedy movies in uh, the past several decades but yeah it's just it's just a really weird choice for this movie and it is unfortunate that they had to replace him and there's like there's no way that you're going to a replace a director on a star wars film and b replace them with ron howard in any sort of discreet manner but uh mm. yeah it happened i think people got over it um they should have just know. they should have had ron howard um they, they take two production photos of him slightly different positions and he'd have a different shirt on <laughs> look lauren miller yeah. over here no uh, Cl- uh clint howard was in the movie they could just stand next to each other yeah. for the photos <laughs> that would have been funny <laughs> uh, clint howard but, uh, by the way very famous for something else uh, are you gonna say a star trek thing yes i'm gonna say star trek uh he's been in he, so he, many things yeah he was in one of the original series episodes when he was a kid good for him Yes. Uh, also, he was in more recent things. But uh, but anyway, we should probably talk about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you, you saw this in theaters, though? Is that correct? I saw this in theaters. Uh, this mm. is, and, and I went with Jason. He had a sudden interest to see it. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, he doesn't like Star Wars in general and uh, doesn't seem to care. But I think... Uh, he was at some Disneyland thing where they were promoting Star Wars and they had like a bunch of R2-D2s going around. And so he's like, oh, I'll go see the new Star Wars movies. And I was like, are you sure? Because um, it seems like a weird place to start. Uh, but but he did. And What, what uh, did he think of the movie? He liked it. He liked it. And he doesn't, he didn't quite understand much of the... Oh, he probably uh, didn't get the, the references and the inside jokes. No, no. Because I have to say this movie... Uh, is enjoyable without understanding all of those, but there are certainly parts in this movie where you'd be like, huh, they're leaning awfully hard on this thing that I don't know why that matters. Um, like, that was a weird close-up shot. The, the, these yeah. dice seem to factor in pretty heavily into this movie <laughs> for some reason. 
Uh, I, I said this in in our um, uh, in our episode about the Last Jedi, uh, but I will. I think it bears repeating. Uh, I I never thought about those dice prior to the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, when same. I saw, when I saw this movie, like several months after the Last Jedi, and they were and they were hitting the dice hard again, I was just like. This is really like I don't know if they were just like collaborating in a writer's room where they were just like, oh man, this is such a an intricate piece of development that we can carry through from movie to movie, and it'll connect him uh, as when he was a kid to when he was an adult, and uh, you know it, it's always been there, and it's such a thing, and it's just like I I honest to God never thought about them or noticed them ever, and they are dice on a chain. Um, and you're adding adding the the extra weird complication of he gives these dice to uh, his his love interest in this movie, who is someone else um, other than the love interest that we will have and he will uh, go on to to appreciate, and that is Princess Leia, who you know has has a different connection. So it's sort of like here's an engagement ring. Okay, I'm going to take it back, and uh, I'm going to give it to this other lady. I'm not sure that the dice are really an equivalent to an engagement ring, but uh, sure, I guess you could look at it that way. They're gold. No, it, it's what, like I said, though, the, the dice thing is just such a weird thing that I hang on, so to speak. It's but, just, you know, in, in case you were unaware, this is the same person from the other movie, because dice. He's yeah, a gambler. I'll- He's a gambler, too. Uh, also, every time he gets behind the wheel, he gambles with his life. <laughs> True, um, but he's 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 a great pilot. Uh, but the the uh, the at the end of this, there's also another additionally confusing bit um, for many people, I will say, and that is here is Darth Vader. I'm uh, sorry, Darth Maul. Why did I say Vader? Uh, Darth Maul um, as a hologram, and uh, he's there hanging out with robot legs. And mm-hmm. I can understand how that might be confusing to a lot of people because uh, Darth Maul was brought back to life in the animated Clone Wars cartoon, and then he reappeared in the animated uh, uh, Star Wars Rebels cartoon, uh, and now he's he's here in this movie. Uh, whereas if you are just familiar with the movies, you might say to yourself, didn't that fella die? And he, wasn't he like, chopped in half? And it's like, yes, he did die. And he was chopped in half. And uh, he was brought back to life with um, sorcery and robot legs. So that's him. Uh, you, just there at the end of the movie. Yes. I didn't notice the metal robot legs. And I just kind of like didn't really care where in the prequel <laughs> timeline this movie landed. So I was like, oh, yeah, Darth Maul. Cool. Well, Although I, I, I found it kind of odd that he... He threateningly sparked up his lightsaber um, because he's a hologram. So what's he gonna he's do gonna with take that? it out of the. He's gonna destroy <laughs> that hollow projector. <laughs> he's gonna drop it and like cut one of his legs off. Yeah. Again. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's yeah. It was a really strange choice to bring him out of retirement for this uh, because I I just think it might have been more confusing for people. Um, I think it was fine. I just think he did more than was necessary mm-hmm. yeah i mean they could have just like had a glimpse of him and it's like oh that's the bad guy but it's like nope we gotta dwell on this uh because i don't know reasons but uh if you didn't recognize him from his uh red face and squiggly i assume those are tattoos 
Uh, also, double-sided lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but, you know, there are other smaller references to things scattered throughout that don't always take you out of the movie or uh, would go over your head if you you know, didn't have an intimate knowledge of something like it, it doesn't matter what the name of the card game is. It doesn't matter what the, um, uh, what is there, Lando is the said. Is card game a, a reference? Yes, apparently. Um, it, like it, it, this movie is chock full of, of things, references to things that, um, you would just be like gobsmacked by where you're just like, why, why did you even bother to do that? Like, why, why, why is this in there? There, there is a, a reference to, I believe, Terrace or something in here. And that was like a, a, a video game. Um, there's just like layers and layers of the stuff where you're just like, huh, huh. So that's there because why? Like, like, I, I understand that you want to like sort of prove that you're fans and appreciate these things, but like, does that improve the movie? Like, if you're just watching this movie without being familiar with, uh, I don't know, 30 plus years of uh, expanded universe that was disqualified um, and then kind of partially redigested into the new expanded stuff. It's just like, why, why do you, why do you need to have that word dropped? But, uh, but they do it a lot. They do it mm. a lot in this. Hmm. I could have done without the uh, the wink and the nod references to big time gangster on Tatooine putting together a crew. Yeah, or when um, when Han and uh, Kira are trying to get off of Corellia, uh, Kira says, "Oh, we 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 can't, you know, we'll be uh, uh, we'll be captured by the by crimp uh, sold sold by I don't know what would she say? It was something like a." sold by, uh, to Crimson Dawn or one of the Hut cartels and it's like you don't need to you don't need to <laughs> ha- so heavily lean on that like Crimson Dawn is in the movie and the Hut cartels are in the other movies um and Han will run across them so it's just like I don't I don't feel like you need to like uh uh fall over on yourself trying to get both of those in but but they did uh they sur- they sure did uh and there's some other weird references in here that I definitely don't appreciate but we'll we'll get to that as we slowly dissect this mm. this movie starts with blue text explaining things that fades in kind of like in the galaxy far far away uh stuff um it, it, so it's not a crawl um but it's it's not the it is way a galaxy that... far far away and then story checks out <laughs> but uh it, it they 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 have on he's Going to his orphan hangout. Yeah, the car chase. He's going to his orphan hangout. He's beat up. He's got some hyperfuel coaxium. Um, (laughs) Is that a thing in any of the other movies anywhere? It's a a thing. part of this movie. It's a thing that's elsewhere that's not a movie Mm -hmm. thing. But, man, they really really wanted to say hyperfuel just a lot and coaxium a lot. Um, and uh, Jason I was a little credit for not uh, having um, Beastie Boy sabotage playing while he was running away in the opening <laughs> scene. <laughs> well, Star Trek did that, but um, unfortunately, but uh, Jason was a little confused by coaxium and hyperfuel being the same thing. He was like, "Why didn't they just say the same thing?" And I was like, "That is a good question. Um, maybe there are different kinds of hyperfuel other than coaxium, but I have no idea. Maybe uh, it's like uh, like petrol and gasoline. It's like an English thing." 
Yes, yes, for your space space English, um, which I guess would be the Empire. But uh, the Kira does the whole as you know Han thing. Um, th- this is what could finally be our ticket off of Corellia because we could do this and this and this. And it's like I feel like you guys have definitely had this conversation before. Otherwise, he would not be coming to you with his coaxium. So it's a little weird that you're saying this for the audience. Um, but uh, I, I'll I'll let that pass. Uh, and then they go to uh uh lady uh proxima um who is a big lady, lady waterworm <laughs> big waterworm caterpillar thing um and In a very blue room and uh there's orphans everywhere and uh she's got her head hen- head honcho hench guy um who is interesting uh in, a, in he's, he's very star wars uh and uh there's a there's a whole thing here that feels kind of Lord and Miller with the that's a rock you made a clicking noise with your mouth, um, <laughs> and uh, that, that was that was that was good I, I liked that scene yeah and uh, she's apparently vulnerable to light um, and he escapes with the coaxium uh, and takes a speeder and uh, the the bad guy head honcho chases in his bigger faster batter speeder um, speed speeder truck I don't know. Uh, and, uh, there's, there's a very good chase. Um, I like the chase. You don't like, like the chase? Fast and Furious Corellia Drift or whatever they're doing because they're sliding around and it is, making it is, turns and stuff. It is funny how all of this stuff seems to kind of not really work as a universe. Uh, there's like a security stop, but all the things levitate. So it's like, who's that stopping? Like, wouldn't you just be able to levitate over that? Anyway, it, it's it's a little silly. Well, um, I, I think that's one of the things about these Star Wars movies in general that's kind of difficult to get a hook into, and I don't want to derail us too much. But, I mean, there's so much, you know, uh, hyperfuel and planets and just sort of mechanics of the way the world works that you have to, like, you have to learn while doing. So you're trying to assemble all this stuff as you go and figure out what's important and what's not important. And just trying to deal with that mixed in with the ostensibly human story of it can really kind of derail you from getting invested in a lot of these people and sort of just focusing on what you need to focus on. Uh, and, and I know I get a little bit of fatigue with that kind of stuff sometimes. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't care about a lot of these world details as much as I'm trying to get into the story of it. And it's like, you know, when something is as major to the story like this hyperfuel, it's a it's a very big part of the plot. If if you don't buy into that or understand it or figure out where it fits in the world, the rest of it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I think that can be kind of difficult. But this movie, luckily, you don't really need to care about a lot of that stuff because this is a self contained story about a guy, and it's not really trying to tie into the other trilogies. And I think that actually worked in this movie's favor. Um, yeah, I would say that this movie has more techno babble than we get sometimes from more, Star Wars. More techno babble that means nothing, I suppose. Well, that's, I mean, that's what techno babble is, is like... I mean, there's a lot of techno babble in the other movies, but it's, it's relevant to characters and or factions and or plot devices and stuff. Well, this, this stuff is relevant to this world that the movie tries to create, um... It's just, it can be a little difficult to follow some of this stuff because uh, some of the techno babble is kind of Star Trekian a little when like they're trying to soup up the engine later for the uh, escape 
from the the singularity or the black hole thing. Oh yeah, because um, that, like, that's that's never happened in a movie before. Yeah, I know. Um, but the, <laughs> inject the warp core. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's very Star Trekky um, in that part, which is strange. Um, but it and, wasn't, they weren't getting sucked into a black hole. It was a gravity well. Yes, yes, it's totally different. Uh, but but going back to the beginning of this. Uh, they have the, the, the nice chase, uh, and then they are at the port, but they don't have ID things to get through the port. Um, so space TSA won't let them through the gate, but, (laughs) uh, they, they bribe the gate agent. Um, and this just all just seems really contrived, like as a method for splitting them up. Uh, but, uh, but they get split. Um, and, uh, it's pretty stupid that. They open the door and jump through, and then right at the last minute, they they pull her back as the door is closing. It's like, well, it's a door. You just push the button again. That's how that works. I know the the lady was like trying to cover her tracks or whatever, and starts calling for security. But uh, if if she's gonna blow the whole thing wide open and call security, she could just open that door and they could get him too. Mm-hmm. And there's also this very weird sort of thing where the uh the gangsters are are dragging her out and the stormtroopers are like pointing guns at them like don't start nothing like uh well they're they're already doing something they're they're kidnapping this woman and you're just going to like make sure that they don't leave without like spilling drinks on the carpet or something like what do, what do you what is your job here other than just point guns at people and then let them leave yeah I, There's clearly a balance between the gangsters and the the empire because, like, when uh, when when Metal Stargate head rolls in there looking for the two of them, a stormtrooper steps up to him and and it, it they kind of like hit the stormtrooper in the chest with the big glowy stick, saying like "back off," you know, we're here on official mobster duty or whatever. Um, but you know, it's it's a bit unclear. Maybe it's because this is prequely and the empire is not the massive power respected by all sorts of people all over the galaxy or maybe there's just like you know you're locked in here with us kind of thing it's unclear it does seem strange though that there would be such a kerfuffle over this gate and they seem completely uninterested in even questioning anyone about it um but han is on the other side of this unopenable door um and uh he goes over to the rec- recruiting station which is oddly placed on the inside of a spaceport terminal that you need a ticket to get into the spaceport for. So you well, have to be going you, somewhere to be recruited here. Yeah, it's it's like the way they put all the good restaurants after security at the airports. Yeah, like the, the Guy Fieri restaurant in Burbank. <laughs> Did you listen to that episode? I, listen, of, I listened to the thing, yeah. Yeah, that was good. No, I was, I was just going to say, you know, outside there's usually a Chili's and inside there's like a... A to-go version of some sort of taco joint that's a local in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to find a lot of CPK ASAPs, uh, you know, outside of the terminal. Uh, but same goes for stormtrooper recruiting, I guess. Uh, do, you, you, do, do you do you eat, eat that food? I have when it was the only thing you could get uh, that was reasonable inside of the LAX terminals before the renovation where they replaced the restaurants with mm. quote unquote local fare. Um, but the CBK strikes me as like first year out of college kind of restaurant that people go to. Well, yes, but also CPK ASAP is even worse. 
<laughs> is it all blended together as one big acronym, CPKASAP? No. No, no. That would be... Wait. CPKASP? No. That is, you can't even say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, CPKASAP is, is basically like we have a grill, quote-unquote, for personal pizzas that we will make, and we have a limited menu of these, like, five-ish things. And uh, also salad which is boxed from some location somewhere uh and so uh take your life into your own hands and order something and you will get a pizza that is somehow um like cracker like on the exterior of it but doughy and undercooked on the interior of it because the oven can't really get hot enough to cook it in the amount of time and they're trying to make as many pizzas as possible because it's an airport terminal um so it's a delightful experience uh, if you ever get to go to one, um, I'm not sorry that they are gone from LAX, but, uh, you, you, you can find one at some other airport. I'm sure. Uh, the, the, the point here is, is of course, Han has come across, uh, a recruiting station, uh, as I said, which is for some reason in here. Uh, and he talks to the guy and this is where he gets his last name, which is not something that I needed this movie to do. Uh, he could have just been a guy with a last name. He didn't need to have some perfunctory imperial lackey uh, who's filling up paperwork just say, yeah, your name's Solo because you don't have anybody. And it's like, okay, okay, what a weird name to to give to somebody on a, on some paperwork. Uh, but uh, Yeah, because given his character that we know from the other movies, you kind of figure like he could be sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, coming up with that on his own when somebody asks him what his name is. But at this point in the movie, he is not really Han Solo the character yet he's still on his way to being that guy so it would be weird for him to 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 bust out a little bit of extra bravado and uh call himself that here but yeah well, I wasn't he, overly offended by it I guess no it's well he's just it's unnecessary because like he could have just been his name we we didn't need to have an explanation because Solo isn't even like a word that this other language would have in a galaxy far far away it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, just, just, his name's Han Solo. Just get over it. It's fine. Like, it doesn't need to, to be a story point. But he's, a, he gets he's a, an orphan. Yes, I know. It's so sad. Um, so he gets his name from this imperial bureaucrat, um, who's filling out paperwork. And, uh, we get to cut to three years later because he's going to go be a pilot and it's muddy trenches and dirty, dusty, smoky war. Um, and he is, uh, some sort of, cannon fodder foot soldier uh which we never saw in the original series of movies perhaps because they all died shortly after this unclear uh but uh they he's not even a, a good enough to be a stormtrooper um but they, they they all are like running from ditch to ditch it's very i don't know world war one two kind of thing uh and he comes across uh woody harrelson and uh tandy newton um and uh john favreau as a cg thingy and a four-armed monkey yes and they they are there to steal stuff for things um but uh they're impersonating imperial officers and there's kind of a nice scene where woody harrelson is like uh yeah you're kind of just a stupid upstart kid and uh he gets him uh he arrested basically for, for trying to be a deserter uh and so 
that's where he gets thrown into the pit with the beast. And the beast is, of course, Chewbacca. And there's a pretty funny scene of Han, who, for no particular reason, speaks Wookiee. Um, and he has some subtitles of how he's not a very good speaker of Wookiee language. But mm. uh, it is it is amusing. And for, uh, for what it's worth, I watched uh, a couple bits of this movie twice. I swear the first time I watched this movie, it didn't have the Wookiee subtitles, but the second time it did. It's possible. Netflix subtitles are incredibly uh, inconsistent. Yeah. But this they, they hatch a plan. Well, Han hatches a plan uh, that Chewie executes where uh, they pretend to fight to break the singular post holding up the the roof slash uh floor grates of the level above uh and uh this doesn't seem like good architecture but they they managed to pull this off it was a funny scene i it was very unusual to me because as han points out uh they they are the uh the hostiles invading this territory so why do they just have a random pit with a uh a wookie in it um Mm -hmm. but you know i guess i guess maybe Pits are, are like a big architecture trend in, in the Star Wars universe because, you know, it's just where you keep stuff. Yeah, like your Wookiees, your Sarlaccs. Yeah, um your Rancors. All good things that you drop things into. But uh, they get out of there, um, and then Han talks Chewie into coming with him to go to meet his friends um, who are confiscating a ship. Uh, the friends... Um, are of course not that excited to pick him up except uh john favreau uh you know convinces them that they could use a wookie i did like his line that uh you'd never have a better night's sleep than curled up in the lap of a wookie <laughs> it, was, it was a fairly interesting character for the amount of screen time that he had um and uh, so they take them with them to go do their thing and their heist it turns out is they're gonna steal hyperfuel coaxium from a train snow yeah, the tra- the train thing. I still I still question. It's just like that's the best way to transport that, huh? Like just on that weird roller coaster you have there through the mountains. Maybe it's one of those things where you can't put it on a ship that uh, uh goes into hyperspace because the the it'll it'll jar it too much when you when you hit the gas that it will explode. Well, you have to be able to put it on a ship, otherwise it would all just be on the the planet that you mined it on. Hmm. Well, maybe so you, you have to put it into the warp drive or whatever the hell they called it, fusion drive, before no, well, Dan, <laughs> half SSD, half spinning disk. <laughs> no, they, 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 they just needed, they simply needed um, a cool set piece, and they got a cool set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, they, got, they got a train that uh, that banks with the curves. Yes, it's like a Disneyland very fancy. ride. <laughs> oh, is that going to be a Disneyland, that ride, a train that does that? Uh, not to my knowledge, but hmm. it would be neat. Um, I don't I mean, think it's this movie the Matterhorn at this point. I don't think this movie did especially well um, compared to what their expectations of it were. Cumulative uh, worldwide gross three ninety two uh, for a budget of three hundred, not ideal. No, yeah, you see, they made money by all accounts, um, literally by all accounts, uh, <laughs> but they. They uh they just didn't make as much um so they want to be more careful with the the prequel mining that they were going to do so like they they canceled the 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 
Boba Fett, Jango Fett, whatever it was thing. They're still doing like the Mandalorian TV series and other things. Um, and still doing the main Star Wars stuff and doing whatever Ryan Johnson's sequels to these sequels are going to be. But uh, they they decided to curtail the, any further exploration of uh, very minor things and characters' pasts. But um, the uh, they they have the train heist where they're all on it, and uh, Val is played by Tandy Newton. She's uh, sorry, Tandy Newton, um, and uh, they're zipping along uh it's all shot really well composited very nicely executed well um there is a mention of i hope infant's nest doesn't you know cotton on to this plan or whatever and it's like no way and it's like well what do you what do you suppose happens uh infant's nest is there and i have to say one of the things i don't know if this occurred to you but one of the things that occurred to me when infant's nest was introduced on screen and there is a swelling uh, musical thing for Infant's Nest. They get their own little theme, and it includes uh, uh, a children's chorus. Um, when when that happened, I said, there is no way that they are evil um, because that, otherwise you wouldn't have like a children's chorus for it. So there has to be a twist in here somewhere. And sure mm. enough, there is later. See, uh, that just comes back to you uh, paying more attention to score than I ever do because no, I didn't get that. Yes. Yes. Well, I, 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 you got to keep track of the score. Um, but I mean, I could, I could tell when it like it got big to go like, uh, hey, here, here's a part that references a thing, huh? Right? Mm-hmm. Get it? Stuff. Did you pick up on all the little references? Well, a lot of the references. Yep. <laughs> all, all the great references. Uh, there, the there is some. There's some stuff in here. There's the dun dun da 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 that they they do when the heist. The riffing on the themes I did not super enjoy. Like when he first gets behind the wheel of the whatever the hell that stupid ship is to pick up the train. Like he gets a little bit of a Star Warsy theme, and then when he hops in the 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 seat of the Millennium Falcon, he gets a more Star Warsy theme, and I thought that was. Uh, annoying if anything i didn't i didn't need it because they were avoiding it for so long and they were doing fine on their own it's like if you're gonna do a star wars theme do a star wars theme but like don't give us just like four seconds of it when it's like da da da, da he's on solo now it's like eh, whatever i mean i i like quoting from the originals um and this is obviously a different composer uh this is john powell although john williams uh, composed and conducted a theme for Han Solo. Uh, th- the rest of this is John Powell uh, quoting from uh, some of the the earlier works of John Williams. So you know, there's there's stuff sprinkled throughout, like the train heist includes imperial theme from John Williams from the first. Like I said, uh, there's Corellia Chase, which includes the Star Wars main theme, um, and uh, you get Rebel Fanfare and Breakout. You get um, the the Death Star motif, Rebel Fanfare, Tie Fighter Attack, the Asteroid Field, and the Star Wars main theme in the uh, 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 Reminiscence Therapy um, track, uh, and Into the Mob, which is Rebel Fanfare, Star Wars main theme. It's just like there's there's so much stuff in here that's layered in, um, even in the same bit uh which is fine mostly uh it just every now and then i would think about the thing that it's referencing rather than what i was watching uh which was unfortunate um yeah just just for that 
it's th- this movie isn't really about I mean I n- I know we get to it towards the end but this movie isn't really about the rebellion capital T capital R or the empire or anything like that so throwing those in there it it seems uh obligatory and unnecessary to me but yeah whatever i i I think the quoting thing is good uh in in a series of films i i agree that that can be used well i just don't know that it fits here it didn't it didn't help me or i didn't enjoy hearing the little references i i mean i i I, like i said i was fine for it except for a couple of instances where I, i thought about the source material um rather than what i was watching um but uh, you know, John Williams certainly quotes from himself when he's doing Star Wars scores. Uh, so had this been a star, uh, had this been a score that was completely by John Williams, then uh, he would have also used many of these things. But um, perhaps it's just the way it was used, uh, where it's just short little snippets, um, as opposed to the larger layering um, that uh, uh, John Williams typically does. I, who could say but um there's certain like there's something to what you said about the, the stakes of this movie are much much lower um so it seems a little overblown to get like the full moments of star wars when you're just like they're they're, they're stealing fuel from a train um <laughs> but uh they it's basically like that episode of breaking bad yeah they, but they they fail and they screw it up uh and there's a really contrived way that um, uh, John Favreau is shot and dies in a really contrived way that uh, Tandy Newton's character dies, uh, where she's just like, you know, oh, you know, I gotta blow this up by staying here. I'm pinned down by these Viper droids, and you know, I I gotta blow the bridge, and you'll get the thing. Don't worry, like you'll you'll go on, and it's just like. What? what? Why are you committing suicide? What, what's going on? I spent a little time trying to figure out why the hell she actually did that because they were uncoupling the trains and that seemed fine. But my only guess yeah, well, is because it was it's... conscious uncoupling. Yeah. What? Never mind. I feel, I've... I'm not even going to. Uh, anyway. No, you, Google it later. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Uh, it just seemed like because it's one of those. Uh... God, I almost said something that you were going to get me on there. Um, it was a train that was above the tracks and below the tracks. It was kind of sandwiched there, and the only way to get the car off of the tracks was to literally blow the tracks off so it comes flying off. Yeah, and uh, they do, but uh, Infant's Nest also has uh, cables and stuff, uh, and so they are yanking and pulling, and they're yanking and pulling, and they're going in different directions, and it's not going really well because there's a mountain approaching, uh, and uh, Han makes the executive decision to uh not die and uh he cuts the cables uh which makes woody harrelson very angry because they didn't kill themselves uh and uh seems a bit silly that like five of those little bike things have as much horsepower as their big plane doesn't it a little bit but the 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 infant's nest has it but they can't maneuver with the amount of space they have or whatever and so they smash into the side of the mountain and you get a cool implosion thingy Kind of, kind of a liquidy, lasery explosion guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, according to uh, uh, visual effects supervisor Rob Bredow, uh they referenced uh, underwater explosions for the look of it. Um, oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Or, uh, or like, imagine if you like ejected a warp core into a black hole. Yes, I'm imagining it. <laughs> but uh, I like that. Yeah, blue so- and spherical and kind of like wavy, wavy and warbly. 
you know, well, it was nice the way the mountain kind of like sucked in. Um, but they, mm. uh, they get out of there, uh, by limping along on their thing until I guess they crash and walk. Um, and, uh, this is weird because you'd think the Imperial guys running this train would be like, Hey, so something blew up our train. Let's go look. And uh, no search parties are dispatched. Not only that, but uh, they're the 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 our intrepid um, heroes are walking to the yacht, uh, uh, Dryden Voss's yacht, uh, which is just zipping around on this uh, very important planet um, near where this explosion went off. Uh, so just raises a lot of questions about Imperial security, which has never been like great, but um, well, it's only circumstantial evidence, Joe. Yeah. Uh, this this movie is really a movie about how bad uh, the Empire is at security and screening things. But uh, we're still a young upstart in this film. Yeah, and uh, Woody Harrelson says the dumb stuff about like, oh, we we you're stealing from Dryden Voss, and like this is, you know, we this wasn't uh, our stuff. This wasn't our heist. Blah blah blah. Like you don't understand what it is, what it's like to live with a price on your head. And it's like this is this is a little heavy handed, hitting the hitting that note a little too hard. Um, for uh, Han Solo in his later life, but uh, you know Woody Harrelson is very much intended to be a uh, a, a kind of prototype of, of Han, um, intended to be the the template that that uh, Han models himself after uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so it makes sense that I guess you would say that. And uh, they come across Dryden Voss's yacht, which looks super cool. Uh, it. <laughs> It is all vertical and neat and crap, uh, and they they hop on board and take their elevator up to the uh, 1980s Parisian New Wave Lounge, um, w- where they are just chilling. Uh, where they got a lady singing with a, an alien. He was he's in a jar. Yeah, yeah. right. I. I have I've said this before, and I will say it again uh, because I'm sure they're going to do it in the next movie too. Uh, we we don't we don't need a Star Wars musical number in every movie. <laughs> it's uh at least it was a more pleasant song than the uh, the the one the the what is it Jedi Rock or whatever it was called. Oh yeah, no, it's it's uh, significantly better than many of the musical pieces that have been made for in in world. Uh, diegetic stuff but it's just it doesn't mean we needed it but uh but anyway they have their lounge moment he's, he's a man who likes some jazz he's, he needs to stay calm he needs to keep his blood pressure low otherwise his face cracks open up <laughs> um oh and apparently that was supposed to be uh oh, i forget the actor's name but it was, it was just going to be a different actor before it was paul bettany and uh it was going to be uh, a guy with basically a cg lion head kind of yeah yeah i saw that in here because uh i had forgotten i remember that story michael k williams yes um uh half mountain lion half human um but uh yeah he he couldn't come back for the ron howard reshoots which again makes me think that they reshot a, a whole hell of a lot of this movie yeah um but uh i liked i like paul bettany's character i liked how he had his weird little it's not quite human he's got he's got some weirdness to him when he gets angry he gets he gets darker red yeah, his, and his weird space scar um but I don't uh, know if there were scars. They were kind of like tiger stripes or whatever or something. Eh, I think there were scars. But uh, but he's he's got his weird little I don't know laser cheese knife thing. Um, like cheese wire. Oh thing. yeah, the the the, the double sided uh, brass knuckles knife with yeah uh, laser bit. Yeah. 
because uh, everybody everybody needs something, you know, a little eccentric. Uh, well, you don't want blood all over your sweet yacht, so you got to get a knife that cauterizes. Yeah, get you a knife that can cauterize both. But um, they, he, he's dispatching somebody, which lets you know perhaps he's bad and perhaps they're in trouble. But uh, Han comes across Kira, uh, and he says, "Oh, I was totally going to come back for you," and she buys it. Um, and she says, <laughs> "What you don't buy that that was his plan?" Well, no, I mean, I think he's sincere. I just, if someone came up to me after many years of me being captive and was like, oh, it's totally going to come back for you. I'd be like, uh-huh. Like, all I have to go off of on this is your your word because you just suddenly showed up here. And, oh, you're here because you failed at stealing something? Okay, sure. I'm sure that has something to do with me. You, you know why you don't believe it is because you don't understand the sincerity of a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> I don't understand the sincerity of a hug. You're, you you are not a hug person, so so you can't understand the uh, the transmission of the uh, the intent there. Yeah, and uh, so Daenerys Targaryen is all like, "Oh, I never got out," and you know it's dramatic. Uh, and uh, Paul Bettany is suitably villainous uh, for his smarmy um, and somewhat uh, friendly but very pointed conversation that he's having with them. Um, which Woody Harrelson knows better uh, and is acting appropriately, and Han is, does not know better and is is, is uh, acting as that character should. Uh, and they they agree to go on this other thing to do this stuff. Um, and uh, he's like, okay, but you're totally gonna like kick the bucket if you screw this up. And uh, he's like, you, so you're gonna take uh, Kira along? And Kira's like, uh oh, because she knows that if they screw up, then she's also going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought uh, that was a nice subtle bit too, where he's basically just like, "Hey, uh, gotta kill people when they screw up, and you screwed up once, so now you need a chaperone, which means I'm also gonna have to kill my chaperone." Yes, it's unfortunate, but that's how it goes. Yes, um, but but I, I mean, I, I I like how that played out. Uh, and then they drop them off somewhere where they can get a ship, uh, which is very helpful of them to do. Uh, and uh, they try to secure travel. By going to the poker thing and talking to Lando, uh, talking to Lando Calrissian, um, who has L three, and they're they're ch- ch- a lot of backstory, a lot of adjectives while they're on their walk and talk on their way to play cards. Yeah, and one one nice thing about this is that they um, do a little bit of a fake out because uh, if you if you watched The Empire Strikes Back, then you know that uh, Han Solo wins. The Millennium Falcon from uh, from uh, from Londo. Uh, I keep saying Londo. Lando. <laughs> Londo is in Babylon Five. Um, but he he wins it from uh, Lando Calrissian. Uh, but it's obviously not going to be the first time they play cards together. because uh, that would be a much shorter film. But uh, they 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 do a nice job of faking you out here. Uh, and you get some neat aliens. Uh, with Neil Scanlon doing alien stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... I they were pretty good scenes. The gambling scenes in general were pretty good. It was fun. Uh, I did like the fake out where he he lost the initial game. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Donald Glover. I will say up front, I did get very tired of his Lando voice. He could have just dialed it back like ten percent, maybe. There are times where it's perfect, but then mm-hmm. there are other times where it's like I'm going to have to talk to somebody about this. My ship has been. It's like, dude. Take it back a couple of notches. He's just trying to be like this weird cartoon casual, and he's already a very casual person. 
like in Spider-Man Homecoming, he he plays a very great character as well. But uh, yeah, it's just it it, uh, it 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 wore on me a bit. I mean, I generally liked everything, it, uh, but I will agree that you know maybe just backing off a little bit of the affectation slightly, just a bit. Yeah, because if you actually watch um, Billy D. Williams in Empire Strikes Back, he, he's not as affected all of the time. Um, I think in the action scenes uh, and. Um in the falcon he he is more chilled out it's just a lot of these sort of like walkie-talkie bravado scenes where he's yeah. way up there but it makes sense when they're first introducing them and he's blustery and stuff uh about his about how qualified his ship is for this thing um and l3 you know picks a fight and we start to get a, a whole image of l3's uh worldview about droid rights uh which is <laughs> just fun <laughs> By the way, I love that uh, uh, when when Sauce asked us uh, which one was Han and which one was uh, Lando, you said you're the droid because um, in uh, Rogue One you also said you're the droid. Yes, I'm always the droid, but uh, <laughs> you're always the droid. Joe I, is always the droid. The uh, what da- what Dan is referring to is that there was a tweet earlier that we were going to go live for this episode, and uh, uh, Tyler uh, Sauce had asked us. Which which one of us uh, was Lando and which one of us was Chewie, uh, and oh wait, I thought he said Han. N- no, oh wait, what did he or Han? Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, he, he he said Lando, uh, and is <sighs> it Han and Lando? Yeah, Han and Lando, and uh, and I said uh, you said uh, dibs on Lando, all caps, and I said yep. uh, oh this is awkward because I was going to say L three, and the reason why this is awkward, as we come to find out, is that uh, there seems to be something. Of, of of more affection going on between <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit of unrequited sexual tension between lando and his droid yes which is interesting it's an interesting angle to play um and in some of the press uh that uh they were doing for this uh uh people people were asking donald glover about this and he's like yeah you know i kind of see lando as a like a like a pansexual being uh, and i was just like okay I don't know how we got that from the script, but he's a, you know, he he he's he's a lover of all things. Yes, quite literally. Um, but uh, he, he uh, uh, they they go take his ship out of impound. Um, and uh, it doesn't look like the Millennium Falcon that we are used to. Uh, and when you see it, you're just like, what? This is so pristine, and there's a thing in the middle where the gap should be. Um, and, uh, this is quickly explained. Um, There's a thing in the middle where the gap should be? Yeah, and the Millennium Falcon, you know, is, is kind of, like, magnet-shaped with a little divot in the front. Yeah. Of the horseshoe thing. Yeah. There's, there's, that's filled in at the beginning of this movie. There is a, a, a piece of hardware there, the escape pod. Oh, right, the escape pod. I thought, oh, yeah, I guess it was there. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Yes. Huh. Huh. Yeah, uh, so it's definitely there, and the ship is very, like, pristine and white, um, and, uh, they hop on board, and they blast off for their thingy to, to go to, to do the Kessel run, and I will just be perfectly honest with you, uh, I didn't need this to be about the Kessel run, uh, this is again one of those things where it's just like you're being too clever uh, for trying to make this reference uh, to explain what is obviously incredibly bad dialogue from George Lucas when he made the first movie. Uh, we we don't need to explain 
how the Millennium Falcon did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Because, as everyone has said since then, um, a parsec is a unit of measurement. Uh, and uh, it is not a measurement of time. So... It is. It is. It is just one of those things where it's just like you don't. You don't need to make a reason for it by having it be this special route that takes you through uh, th- this dangerous region of space to a planet. So if you cut through the region of space, you can do it in twelve parsecs because you're using less space because you don't have to go on a circuitous of route. Like I, it, you didn't need to do that to make this movie happen. <laughs> it, it just it didn't need to be. I didn't mind it. Uh, I, I minded it a lot. It's a, it's a little. Um, it sticks out a little compared to as how defensive Han is in some of the other movies. Just because uh, that's that's kind of like his ego is that particular um, bit of trivia. Uh, but I, I feel like it's kind of like the um, it's like the thing that built the legend that is Han Solo. So. He has to kind of defend it uh, when it comes up. But uh, I thought they did a good job of coming up with a reason for needing to get there, get back faster than the primary route. I mean, obviously, there was the blockade, which is the the instigation for going through the uh, the what do you call it? The uh, the maelstrom. Mm -hmm. But um, I I did like the idea that they were they had that ticking clock of the uh, like the the untreated or whatever unrefined uh coaxium that basically was going to explode if it didn't get to a refrigerator and or refinery before a certain amount of time so i i like that mm-hmm. uh it, you know it's just it's it was already messy when you're talking about parsecs and time and stuff so yeah i i, I think it was an equivalent amount of messy in this movie yeah well they, they there's a chat that they're having in hyperspace before they get there uh, between uh, Kira and uh, Han, and it's all like, oh, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, Han doesn't know. We all in the audience have this whole thing figured out. Like, you you are part of this evil organization, um, and you want to keep moving up in the ranks. And Han doesn't understand that you are different people than when you had parted ways. Uh, but whatever. And then Kira goes and talks to L3, and L3 uh, has a very funny scene Unfortunately, all of the dialogue is about uh, their their affection for men who are not in the scene, which is not great on a on like a Bechdel test kind of a level. But uh, anyway, it's funny. There are a lot of movies where uh, the failure of the Bechdel test is about droids. You know, <laughs> you can say that there are. Uh, but I, I love Phoebe Waller Bridge uh, as L three. Uh, yeah, she's, I, she's great. Her dialogue and delivery and enthusiasm for everything is fantastic. Uh, it is a very different droid performance um, in character and in tone uh, from every other droid performance we've had. Also, just in general appearance, style, and function, um, it, it's still very Star Warsy, but it's incredibly interesting because uh, she has all of these these bits and pieces uh, that are kind of wobbly and floating around uh, and instead of being a person inside of a suit uh which she was on set uh they 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 paint out these green parts of her for most of these scenes or just completely replaced in a couple cases but shush um and then they they put in um the the, the they sort of insert the uh skeletal part of what would be the droid uh so you get 
something that feels like it was grounded and there on set and the actors are working with. Um, but it, it is obviously not completely uh, a practical asset. Uh, so it was, it was very well done. And a lot of that was done by a, a hybrid, uh, surprisingly. But uh, that was good for them. They did a good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they get to Kessel. They land, uh, and it's super gross looking. Uh, and there are a bunch of slaves and stuff, and they meet uh, the head of the Kessel mining thing. She puts on the red cape to sort of uh, pretend that she's uh, fancier than she is. And there's also the slightly odd scene where uh, 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 Han and Kira have a, a little chat about their future, etc., Mm. Uh, and kiss a little bit while she's trying on Lando's capes. capes. <laughs> so <many> capes. <laughs> That's a lot of capes. He does have a lot of capes. It's it's a little funny, but uh, yeah. So they're 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 making attempts to uh, say like, huh? You know, we've been through a lot, separate, but we're still the same people, right? And she's she's uh, reluctant, obviously. For most of the the reasons are are clear subtext that she's in a different world and the past that they shared is just a memory now but uh i, I th- there were a few too many lines of uh you know you don't really know me anymore i've done things that you can't imagine it's like well you're just saying words yeah I, that's what i was getting at earlier like we we in the audience get it much faster than han does um but and, uh, even she she says it so like you would think there would be a little bit more force with the way she says it the the next time or the following two or three times where she's just like, look, dude, uh, I'm pretty high ranking criminal officer over here. I can't just like leave this and go because like there's a, there's a Sith with a lightsaber will probably hunt me down and cut me up. Yeah. Although I could understand why she would be reluctant to say that in the middle of a mission where her life depends on the success of it. Um she probably wants to keep the team going. Uh, but they... Uh, it, she, maybe just give them like a we'll talk about this later kind of thing. Yeah, she she does a good job of um, being a, a bossy boss person um, and uh, convincing the, the guy running the facility or... Is it a guy? I don't know. Um, convincing the sort of featureless... Oh, the, the, the robot helmet thing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the, to, to, to allow them to come into the office... Um, she beats the crap out of that guy, uh, while L3 takes over the facility outside, um, and, uh, she unlocks the things that she's supposed to do and gets them to the coaxium like she's supposed to, but then she goes on a little further and causes a droid insurrection, um, and they (laughs) rebel. Inadvertently, too. It's pretty great. She pulls the little controller off and it's like what do i do now he's like i don't know go help your friends or something and then it just wanders around unleashing all of the droids it is very funny uh i i greatly enjoy this scene and this might be the highlight of the movie for me um which is weird because it's a movie about han solo but i just love how this this whole thing unfolds here uh on the planet uh and then they get out of there everybody's free um chewie has the opportunity to go with uh, the the other Wookies that they've come across, um, but instead he's he's finishing up the mission with them, uh, and they get back on board the Falcon, uh, and L three is unfortunately not in fantastic shape after her very successful rebellion and insurrection, <laughs> get it getting blasted in the crossfire. Yeah, 
which is very unfortunate. Because uh, like I said, I really liked her. And now she's not there anymore in the movie. Uh, and well, she is in a sense. What did you think about how they, quote unquote, saved her? I think that's actually worse than if she had just died. Um, I, I think it's there's something weird about like, oh, well, we're going to take her brain um, and just plug it into this ship. And now she's forever going to be part of this ship. But she's not going to be herself or a free thinking thing anymore, which is just GPS. Yes. We, uh, and since we know that, uh, L3's motivations were freedom for everyone. Um, it seems weird that she is now going to be something that has no freedom for ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, they, they only took a portion of her. So maybe they're, Maybe they didn't take all of it or something, but well, uh, it, it's still weird. It's not like oh, we just took the coordinates from L three. It's like no, this is part of L three. L three is part of the ship now, you know. And they Lando, took the SSD, but not the CPU. Well, Lando gets very worked up about this, uh, but it's it's very weird. It would have been better just to send her off and just to have her go nobly, you know, on, on her own terms for for the purposes of freedom, rather than to have her inadvertently wind up being even more enslaved than she was in this process. But, uh, I, I guess, th- but when, when she, when she first plugged in the coordinates, when she was still ready to go, she made that sound that the millennium Falcon makes. And you're like, Oh, I know that sound. And then when they hook her up eventually later, makes that sound again. Yeah. I just think thematically it's bad. Um, uh, not, not, uh, it's interesting that it gives the ship a bit more of a soul and it makes it a bit more important, but, but, like I, I said, mean, if her maybe it whole... kind of explains why Han is so romantic about the ship in the in the the later movies because it it is kind of like you know the way people call like a boat a her or something, you know, uh, he's he's doing that because it literally is L three. Except he's not because uh, that wasn't that wasn't as written then. Um, so well, you know. He he's just appreciating it as if it were a naval vessel that he has a personal attachment to, or a car that he has a personal attachment to, um, rather than something that used to be uh, a free thinking, walking, talking um, machine, uh, and it is no longer those things. Which you know, like I said, it's just thematically weird because L three was so purposeful in in her goals for freedom. Um, if L3's motivations had been something else, like she always wanted to chart courses through the stars and nothing else ever <laughs> more than, any more than that, um, well, then know, it would have made more helped, sense. She still helped them escape to freedom. Yes, but again, her personal freedom, no, not so much. But they, uh, they, but anyway, we've mined this for all that it's worth. They, they're getting out of there with the overheating. Uh, coaxium. Um, there is now an imperial blockade of the the exit through the 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 little tunnel thing through the, the maelstrom stuff that they went through. Um, mm-hmm. you, so they you got the you got the very big fancy shot that Todd did. Yes, yes, the fancy shot um, with all of the illuminated cloud stuff. And then there's a uh, a bunch of Tie Fighters, uh, and they're coming after them. Uh, like and, six of them. Well, I mean that's a lot for. <laughs> Just one ship, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I guess but, for for Han's first rodeo behind the yeah. controls. 
And so they plunge into the maelstrom and some of the TIE fighters chase them and we get some of that music cue from the asteroid field stuff and uh, we get some stuff that's kind of asteroid fieldy. Um, you got the blaster. Beckett's mm-hmm. working the blaster, which gets eventually blasted off. Yes, because it's not the same blaster. At any time you see something in this movie that's not the same, it's because it got broken. Uh, and that that happens. They get uh, pa- they get through and past all the, the, the TIE fighters and all that jazz uh and then it's just like oh hey wait what's that what's that out the window oh look it's a giant space squid whoopsie daisy (laughs) somebody modeled the squid from watchmen and they didn't get to use it so they're like well we still got this model hanging around Eh, funny joke dan but but uh but that was image works and uh this is ilm also if it had actually been modeled back in 2009 it would have looked like crap um in, by today's standards but they 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 uh, escape ish sort of and it gets drawn into the thing i i really didn't care for this scene i know there's a lot of very fancy technical visual effects stuff that's happening i just for the life of me don't emotionally connect to anything that I'm seeing transpire in the, in the running from the squid section. Yeah. That whole thing. I just don't care. <laughs> the, uh, the escaping from the tie fighter stuff I think worked. Um, and then the, uh, you know, uh, I think it was in the trailer. Is it anywhere else where he does that sort of like roll move and like smacks the one tie fighter into the other thing into mm-hmm. the, the, um, asteroid. That was kind of fun. Yeah, it's but once they get through that and it's all space squid and gravity well and their escape, I just don't care about any of that stuff. I don't I don't emotionally connect to this. Yeah. Yeah. If it, it felt like you wanted to get the story beat of like, oh, we've been pursued by tie fighters and now we're going to escape the space worm from Empire Strikes Back, only we can't have a space worm, so we got to have a space squid and we got to have a gravity well. Not the yeah. stakes. And it's really weird when they blast out of there and it's like, "Oh no, you're never going to be able to fit between these two like diamond crystal iceberg things that are floating together but are not drawn into the gravity well i i don't understand how yeah, the geography why they that worked. did that scene because it does not have the same emotional resonance as watching han be a pilot and outrun stuff yes i guess technically he is still doing piloty type things like doing the countdown for winning to inject the things into the the fusion thing um but uh and also you got some you got some comedy there where the uh the the engine flames out and then restarts and goes real fast. Yeah. But it just it felt kind of cliched and predictable with the engine restart thing. Yeah. But, it's just uh you you got to up the stakes from from the running from the tie fighters through the maelstrom. Uh the squid is an interesting way to up those stakes and then you got to, you know, make a joke, diffuse it, which is nice and then you got to mm-hmm. escape. Yeah, it just it didn't emotionally connect to me uh, with with me. And then they get to the planet that's going to refine the quaxium for them, and nobody's responding, and they don't know why. And they find out because they don't have any tongues. But um, they they land on the beach, and uh, they go to refine the stuff. And Infant's Nest is there, and they have a confrontation, and they find out that Infant's Nest is really just the children of people who have you know been impacted by bad things, um, and that's not really that surprising like i said because earlier there were uh there was a, a, a children's chorus for parts of the infant's nest theme stuff and they're also called infants infants nest um so there is an element of youth to the whole thing um and 
this is also where we get uh, 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 what's his what's his what's his I'm blanking on his name. Uh, played Wicket. Um, oh, uh, Warwick Davis. Yes, Warwick Davis. Yeah, and he he's like there. He, yes, he's there. Uh, but they concoct a plan for how they're going to uh, get the the Crimson Dawn guys busted up. So Dryden Voss shows up with his yacht. Because um, they're rebels. Han was an underdog. Still identifies with the underdog. Wants to help the little guy when he can, but also still, you know, make a profit and or, uh, like, appear that he is uh, a bad guy slash whatever. Yeah. Smuggler. Yeah. And so then they go up there with the stuff, and then they do the double, 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 double cross um, scene, which I actually quite liked uh, how that all played out with, you know, that's that's not really the coaxium. That's not really the coaxium. No, that's the coaxium. Uh, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was good. It was good because, uh, you know, you, you come back to the uh, people are predictable thing from, uh, from Beckett earlier where yeah. he, he's he's finally learned the lesson and the student has become the teacher slash double crosser. Um, yes. And he gets them. He sure does. And then there's a fight with stuff and then people get out of there with things and there's more fighting and stuff. He sends all his army out there to go get uh, the Infus Nest people because he thinks they have the coaxium and then they get they get uh, ambushed and killed and then it's just one-on-one time with uh, Dryden Voss and on and also Kira who ends up killing Dryden Voss. Yes. Surprise twist. Um, surprise twist. I mean it wasn't that big of a surprise because no. you know whether she's doing it out of malice or whether she's doing it out of defend her childhood friend, like you know, she's going to get involved. Yeah, and um, I think there she was definitely doing it for career motivating opportunities. Um, but I mean, if for nothing else, she knows she's not getting out of that career, and she needs to appear to the higher ups that she did not betray the empire or whomever. Yeah, and so she's all like, "Oh yeah, I'll meet you down there for sure, one hundred percent." And he he goes. Uh, and, uh, he chases down, uh, Woody Harrelson, um, and they have a thing and Woody Harrelson's going to kill him or whatever, but then he kills him first. Uh, and I feel like Han this shoots is, first. I feel like this is a direct rebuke from the, the Kazdans, uh, plural, um, to George Lucas's altering of, uh, uh, Han shooting Greedo in, uh, the special edition. Um, and subsequently again, when he tried to make that look less bad but it still looks awful um but uh it's interesting though because in in the shooting first in the original trilogy you really just got this sort of like outlaw uh in it for himself kind of character thing and in in this particular situation we've built up uh a lot of story that would lead us to believe he had no choice or this was really the it was the noble thing to do. He wasn't super into shooting this guy, whatever, um, but he had to do it, and he does it. And, you know, even um, Beckett says, good choice or whatever. But I, I, I didn't... I, it doesn't read to me emotionally the same way as that first shot from the original trilogy does because this is a much different situation than shooting uh, some jagoff who grabs you at a bar and is trying to take you to someplace you don't want to go. And you can sneak a gun out. 
Yeah, uh, but they they scripted it in this way where he does shoot first. So I feel like just the fact that this is scripted in there is the rebuke. Not necessarily how it unfolds, but yeah, just yeah. just him shooting first. But uh, there was a nice death scene for Woody Harrelson here, um, and uh, Han and Chewie get to watch the the yacht um, take off. And uh, the shutters on the yacht close, and she gets put on a fancy ring and have her conversation with Darth Maul, um, where he's like, "Come back to this place, and we'll do the stuff." And she's like, "Okay." And and presumably there will be further adventures somewhere in a comic book that no one's going to read, um, but because uh, they're certainly not making a movie. Um, but uh, the we, we get uh, Han and Chewie stranded on the beach and they decide to walk over to where they think land uh where they think uh lando went um which i think is it was pretty funny we f- forgot to mention this part uh when they get down to when they confront infant's nest and they're talking like oh we've got you know f- what is it 40 guys on that ship and you know they're all ready to come get you guys and then the ship takes off and flies away because uh lando's had enough of these shenanigans um and uh was... yeah, he's hurt he's beat up he's sad he lost his droid friend he's like i'm gonna go be in my bedroom on my ship and wait for you to bring me my cut because i have had enough of you and i never want to see you again yeah and uh sure enough he takes off when it's necessary because it becomes clear that uh things are just gonna be worse uh and they walk to wherever he's playing cards so somewhere close uh that he flew the millennium vulcan to uh and this maybe is where to ride with somebody maybe and this is where they uh han calls him on his his card cheating shenanigans i would have rather had uh lando just uh lose like not be as good at cards rather than write lando to be somebody who always cheats at cards um because that makes it seem like lando doesn't have any skills uh he's a gambler though and he yeah. knows that uh his reputation precedes him, and he's got to maintain that reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does that by uh, always having a card up his sleeve. It's yeah. fine if nobody catches him. Yeah, so they they win uh, the ship that has the brains of Lando's dead lover uh, from Lando. <laughs> which seems only fair. Uh, yeah. 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 But, like I said, this movie is very interesting because... I don't feel like it's bad. I don't feel like it's poorly written or no, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. I don't feel like it's poorly written. I don't feel like it's poorly directed. I feel like all the acting is up to a acceptable level in every scene. Uh, and, and in some cases more than acceptable. I really like Woody Harrelson when I thought that I would not. Um, so that is, you know, kudos to him. Uh, uh, but again, there's just some stuff in here where it's just like, huh, that's weird. How, uh, you know, Tandy Newton is just going to commit suicide because it would just be inconvenient to have her for the rest of the film. Like, uh, and then nobody really, like, uh, Beckett, um, doesn't really seem that shaken up about his, his wife being dead, um, for the most part after that initial shock. Uh, so it does, doesn't leave it like a lasting mark. And then, uh, L3 again dies and doesn't seem to leave a lasting mark with, with things. Uh, you know, it's, it's a yeah. lawless time and, uh, people gotta, you know, yeah. Look out for number one. Um, I I think this. Uh, I agree with most of what you just said. I I think this movie is 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 more satisfying. Well, okay, this movie is more satisfying than Rogue One, with the exception of the last what like fifteen minutes of Rogue One. 
for me. I, yeah, I, I, I really like uh, the 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 whole uh, Scarif assault, st- all that stuff. That's all good. I Inclu- really, including the Vader bit at the end, which is spectacular. I still feel like that's a little over the top, but oh, it's so good. Uh, and I also don't really love the Princess Leia bit, which I also feel is over the top. But um, they, oh yeah, that 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 bit brings it back down a little bit. Hope. Um. So, like. For a Star Wars movie that is not Star Wars, which there have been two of, um, I guess not including the animated uh, Clone Wars released in theaters. No, a- animated movies aren't real movies. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> uh, but uh, they, uh, you know, just just these two uh, Star Wars story movies. Um, we, we, I would say that this one is more pleasing and entertaining to watch than. Rogue One is for the most part, which is a little sour and uh, a bit of a downer um, for, and just and just clunky for for uh, yeah. oh, well, not really the same reasons. It had a lot of filmmaking production issues, as yeah. did this one with replacing the directors in the middle of production. But uh, I think Rogue One came out a little bit more battered than this one did. Yeah, well, it's just interesting too that. It seemed like they wanted to do these a Star Wars story movies so that they could tell different kinds of stories within the Star Wars universe with, you know, different kinds of movies. Like, this is supposed to be kind of a heist movie, um, and the other one was supposed to be kind of a spy movie. And what you wind up with is, I feel like, the the executives see parts of this as it's being put together, and they're like, oh, wait, no, this isn't Star Warsy enough. And so yeah, it kind of gets steer it back to the main narrative a little bit more. Yeah, and so it gets kind of this this like I don't know, it gets sort of like steam pressed um back into being very Star Warsy. Uh so it it doesn't feel all that all that different in terms of an exploration of other things they could be doing in the universe. Um, yeah. I mean it's it, a, it, it's the second one, so may, maybe I was going to say maybe they learned the lesson that they could start to creep further away from the primary narrative and just explore things, but based on how much money they made, I would say that they probably have determined that's a bad idea. Yeah. Also, they really shot themselves in the foot with um, the release of this one. It's 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 been something that a bunch of Star Wars nerds have talked about as a possible reason that the movie didn't do very well, uh, because The Last Jedi came out in theaters uh, in December, and then this was released in the following May. So you get like basically five months, maybe four, depending on when somebody saw um, The Last Jedi uh, between these two movies uh, being released that they they would have wound up seeing them. And that's just a lot of Star Wars in a compressed window. Mm. But it's a different Star Wars movie. You're just hanging out with your Star Wars pals in the Star Wars universe, but it's not really a Star Wars movie. Right. I feel though it would have been better to have released it in December, um, and there are others who agree. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of Star Wars fans who are like, "Oh, the originals were released in May, and it you know ran for the whole summer, and that's how I spent my year." And blah 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 blah. And it's just like that's not the world we live in anymore with movies. Um, and if you're going to successfully camp out part of the year, uh, the movie successfully camp out, not the people. Um, the people do that anyways, but if you're going to successfully like mark on the calendar, like this is the expected star Wars time, 
then you can't really like compress that to less than six months and release another Star Wars movie. Um, that's just that's a lot of Star Wars in a tiny, tiny, tiny window. And I know that for many people, they can't get enough Star Wars. But I would say for the vast movie going public, maybe, maybe, maybe a little too much in, yeah. in a tiny window. Yeah, I think you, they also slightly overestimate how interested we are in some of these side stories because I, really what we want is the next three movies right now. I mean, we'll watch some of this stuff to tide us over until we get that stuff, but we we, we, we want the big Skywalker trilogy stuff. Yeah, I mean, the stakes of this movie are very small. And while Rogue One had very large stakes because it was about getting the Death Star plans we knew how it turned out. So it had lower stakes because uh, lower stakes in terms of the movie, because we as a movie going audience understand what happens. Although Um, weirdly you would think that they would lean a little heavier on some of the character stuff the way solo does, given that we know how it's going to end. And I couldn't tell you one thing I remember about the main character from rogue one, uh, least of all her name thinking <laughs> exactly Jin Urso. there you go Jin Urso. uh right because uh mads was also an Urso. but like yeah. yeah like she's she's not memorable we didn't care about her really i i think unfortunately it was the way that she was written um in some yeah. of the rewrites and stuff uh and rebellions are built on hope yeah where whereas we know that that was not how that scene originally went um but uh they that that movie um just uh, you know it's it, it we also know all those characters are not with us going forwards in the series so they all have to die by the end of it which is not how you really want to end a star wars movie is just having everyone murdered um but the character i had the most attachment to again no surprise is is k2so um who we kept saying is k2so but apparently it's k2so um for whatever is it reason. really yeah, um, but uh, you well, know, Alan Tudyk is our our guide for things like that. Then what do they expect? I yeah, I know. But um, I feel like Bettany used kept saying K two S O in interviews. What do you mean, Bettany? Oh, sorry, uh, Tudyk. Sorry, yeah. never mind. I T- don't tall, know. lanky guy. Yeah, the the, the official pronunciation guide is K two S O, but um, uh, it's weird. Um, but uh, I. You know, I, I I had more of an emotional investment in him because he's the only one that's really like growing and changing significantly over the course of this. Like Jin Erso is like, you know, oh, I feel betrayed and abandoned by the rebellion, so I can't be with them. And then by the end of it, she's like, I'm going to rebel. And so it's like, okay, well, that was a fantastic arc because we're already on, we as the audience are already on the, the rebel side. So, you know, congratulations on not being obstinate like you were at the beginning of the movie. Um, and, uh, uh, Diego Luna, it doesn't, doesn't really, you know, he's, he's just like a foot soldier. And then he's like, I'm going to do the right thing. Um, and that just be a blind foot soldier. And it's like, okay, well, that's not a thing either that I care about for Mm -hmm. this. I don't know. But, uh, this movie has more likable characters and not all of them die. Unfortunately, all the ones (laughs) who aren't in the other movies die. Um. Yeah, I guess. Uh, where do you where do you think uh, Kira ends up? 
Unclear. Uh, like I said, I think she's probably in a whole comic book spinoff that's just about her and Crimson Dawn, and it's you, probably never going to be more anything than anything than that. Do you, do you think Maul just immediately kills her? No, I don't think so. Um, I think she does go on to do more Crimson Dawn. Synd- and I'm saying this as if uh, there isn't already this thing. I'm um, sure there might be. Um, as I've said in the past, the Star Wars universe for me is the stuff that happens in the Star Wars movies. And I could buy, I guess, some of the stuff that happens in the cartoon TV series, if you want to throw that in there. But when it gets to, like, somebody said this in one of the spinoff books, and it's like a third line from the second Admiral of blah, 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 then it's like, no, 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 don't care. Um, Like, with the comic books spinoffs and stuff, where it's like, we need to connect the Darth Vader of the prequel with uh, the Darth Vader of... Uh, uh, a new hope it's just like but i don't care i it's just like i honest to god like you guys i don't want to think about the prequel uh and they tried to redeem that and they're doing it all in the comic book and it's just like but i don't want to shell out like three dollars and then spend that at once every month so that i can find out just a little bit more of some piecemeal story that slowly doled out about like darth vader's backstory i feel like that's just not that's not what Star Wars is for me. And I know there are a lot of people who feel differently. You're like, we, I can't get enough Star Wars. Like, give it to me as much as possible. Like, in any shape, way, or form. Like, scribble Star Wars on a napkin and I'll buy it. But <laughs> uh, I, I just... I, that's that's not my approach to this stuff. And I'm the same way with Star Trek. Uh, like, I, I don't care about, like, spin-off Star Trek media stuff. Like, if it's not in a TV show or it's not in a movie, then kind of just isn't something that manifests in my consciousness um uh for any particular reason so uh and it bothers me a lot in rogue one and in this movie when they lean so heavily on things that are not sourced from the movies that you just can't connect to as an audience member that are only rewards for the very dedicated fans um just like okay well i guess you're just giving a middle finger to everybody else who has you know other things to do um but uh yes yes i am insulting everybody who's sitting at home (laughs) stroking their star wars collectible card game stacks um but uh end of rant it was a good rant it allowed me to do some looking up while you were going (laughs) you know you're looking for a map strategic map uh as you always as you're wanting to do i'm looking around for uh the location um, no, uh, I was looking up uh, Kira, and uh, it says she was created for this movie. Yes, I, I believe she she is entirely uh, contained within this movie. Well, she was created for this movie. I was saying she would have a, she probably has a spinoff outside of this movie. Yeah, I don't know that she does at the moment. Okay, well, I think that's the only avenue forwards because I don't think they're going to make oh, another movie. Wait, 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 Star Wars: Forces of Destiny. What is this? Is this a video game? I don't know if you're asking me or if you're just like thinking out loud. I don't know what it is. Is a animated micro series. Oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's in an animated micro series, which is apparently three minutes long. I, I told you. I told you, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, appear- oh, appearances. Hang it's on. Like- uh, solo Star Wars story, solo adaptation one two three five seven, Han Solo Imperial Cadet one two three, 
Star Wars Forces of Destiny, Triceratops. Star Wars 58, The Escape Plan 3, indirect mention only. My goodness. Ooh, non-canon appearances. Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, Lego Star Wars All-Stars. This is a very... Very uh, in-depth article over here on StarWars.Fandom.com. I told you they were nerds, um, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the the uh, yeah, it's it's just it's just one of those things. Where it's just like she's not gonna, we're not gonna, we as the audience are not gonna get the resolution to uh, her further adventures with Darth Maul uh, because this movie didn't do well enough for them to have you know Han Solo another Star Wars story. Um, so there's not gonna be a Star a, Wars sequel. <laughs> Not there, ha- there haven't been any of those. But uh, I, honestly, they need to do something about this naming because Jesus Christ, uh, you can't just say like blah 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 a Star Wars story every time. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't, Especially- it be, uh, wouldn't the sequel be duet a Star Wars story? <laughs> um, what's what's the? Well, you would say duo. Duo. Oh, maybe I, I like the I like the idea of him and Kira singing a song together. Oh, what, well, what do you think? That, what do you think their karaoke song would be together? Uh, the Life Day song from the Star Wars Christmas special. I was gonna say uh, "Summer Lovin'" from Greece. Oh, that would be a little weird. But <laughs> why? Well, just that it's not something that would be in this universe. You don't know. I mean, you're right. The Maybe in this universe they put that on the gold record on Voyager. But this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Dan. You know what? Maybe there's a black hole, and it went through <laughs> the black hole and it went back in time. It's a, it's a different movie. Um, but uh, but but anyway, I think that concludes all of our Star Wars storying. Um, and uh, the only other thing I would say is I think the special the visual effects and the special effects are very nice for this movie. I think the movie looks great. I think Bradford Young's cinematography for the movie is very nice. Yeah, it's a really good-looking movie. I like all the projection shenanigans that they did with the cockpit on the Millennium Falcon as well as uh, Dryden Voss's yacht for the wraparound screen thingy they got there. That's all all very nice. Mm, I can't imagine how nice it would be to not have to deal with green screen edges on those (laughs) very soft focus um, uh, windows. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so you're saying it's I, better to shoot things practically when it's, when it's an out of focus window. Yes. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. Yeah. Fine. But, uh, which is also illuminating your characters, which is very, an important distinction with a green screen. Cause you don't want that to illuminate your characters. You know why? Cause green. Yes. Yes. Makes keying very difficult because they're all green. But, um, that doesn't prevent cinematographers from doing that. Uh, just you can use any green screen as a bounce card. Uh, but I think the movie looks looks very, 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 very good, and mm-hmm. it is nominated, of course, for uh, uh, an Oscar uh, for visual effects. And we'll find out if they get it um, by reading Twitter because uh, they're not going to present this on stage uh, during the broadcast this year <laughs> oh the, the the vfx oscar is officially not being broadcast well, it looks like all of the craft awards are being handed out in commercial breaks hmm. and only two of the nominated um original music pieces are going to be performed of the i believe five nominated uh and they are of course the popular ones that you would have heard on the radio and not the not the the three other less popular ones um 
which are not distribu- distributed by Interscope Records. There seems to be some <laughs> criticism about how this Oscar ceremony is is going. I thought it was still in flux since they postponed and or canceled the best new movie Oscar, whatever the hell that thing was. Yeah. Best popular movie. Yeah, well, that was that was canceled months ago. But um, uh, y- y- the nominations are completely out for this stuff. It's just a matter of like how they arrange the stuff in the broadcast. Um, yeah. Like those other three things they're not going to perform are still going to be uh, eligible to win the award, but uh, it's it, it won't be performed on the stage, which is mm. a first for the what Oscars in a very on long the time. Stage during the uh, commercial break, <laughs> terrific consolation prize for them. Um, yeah, no, uh, there's there is some controversy about how these awards are going, but uh, good luck to Rob Brito and um, to Todd. Academy member Todd Vizieri. Good luck, Todd. I want to find out if Todd voted for himself. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I feel like he, they he would do one of those respectful things where you like vote for a competitor or something because he's a big he's a big noted fan of movies. But uh, no, don't screw around. Vote for yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I still want. Has the official vote already occurred? Mm, no. Um, the the uh, the Bake Off happened. Yeah, right. Um, the selection. Yeah. So how it works for that category is that all the people in that branch of the Academy vote for who should be the nominee for that award, and then it goes to the full Academy for final voting. Uh, so I don't think they've put in their final final votes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that, and uh, you know, we'll fave and or retweet. Hmm. <laughs> It's an honor just to be nominated. Don't forget, everyone. So just uh, good luck. Yeah. I've met Rob Brito and Todd. But Congratulate. I have a hat from Todd. <laughs> what is what hat. is your hat? Oh, it's an ILM hat. Oh. It's his ILM. Oh. I, I recently found my ILM t-shirt that I bought years ago when I went there. It's uh, I, I kind of wore it to death. They have a gift shop? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They have a very nice gift shop <laughs> with very expensive t-shirts. Todd, Todd didn't let me tour the gift shop. It's down by the cafeteria. It's on your way to the <sighs> cafeteria. Well, by the stairs. Todd, Todd didn't have time for a tour. We we just we w- went to the Yoda fountain, and then we, we sat at uh, the chairs. What, uh, what chairs? Uh, in the inside, by the right by the door. <laughs> oh, in the in the lobby? <laughs> yeah. I sat in the oh, lobby. Come on, maybe they revised wow. their um, their their tour thing because when I went, they, there was like a regular. I think they said like Friday was like friends and family day. There was like two, uh, two times a day where you could go sit in their big theater and watch their ten minute demo reel, and then uh, your escort would uh, walk you around and show you the place, and you could buy some crap. Huh. I got a sandwich. Huh. Pretty sure it was free. It was nice. It was a very big cafeteria. Thanks, thanks a lot, Todd. <sighs> Sorry, Todd. They wouldn't let me go in one particular room full of computers because they were working on uh, Avatar. Oh, what a shame! Actually, I don't know that it was Avatar. They said there were blue people in it, so oh, could have been anything then. Could have been um, anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and once more, unto the Star Wars we go. Oh, I'm so sweaty. <laughs> <laughs>